Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. If you're a follower of Christ, how many of you are followers of Christ? Follower of Christ. If you're not a follower of Christ yet, maybe tonight would be the night that you would give your life to Christ. But if you're a follower of Christ, you have something that nobody can argue with. You have something that God has given you in a way to to be a witness, to share your faith. As a matter of fact, having this or practicing this, we can overcome with this what I'm going to explain. What I'm talking about is what we call a two-minute miracle. And when somebody comes to Christ, you're a Christ follower, that's a miracle. I know Jesus did a lot of miracles. He healed the sick. You know, he raised the dead, multiplied the fish and the bread. You know, he paid his taxes with the coin out of a fish's mouth, and they went fishing, miraculous catches of fish, many miracles. But I think the greatest miracle is when somebody comes to Christ, when they pass from death into life. And this is something she mentioned, Christian mentioned, I'm the missions pastor, and our mission is to reach a city to touch the world. So, you know, normally I'll go to like maybe, we were together, where were we, in Colombia, where I was in Tijuana, Mexico. I'm getting ready to go to my, uh, where am I going? Mexico City, and we'll be doing this as well. But, but tonight, now let's just pretend that you're on a mission. Let's not pretend, because really we all are on a mission. So this is tonight, this is, our, this is our mission team. And so we're going to take a little bit of time and just train, just kind of huddle up. This is like the football practice where we practice first and then we go out onto the field. And just like the, the singers, they'll practice, you know, sports players, they'll, they'll practice. Pianists will practice. And if we can practice this, we could get good at it. If sharing our testimony, our salvation testimony, okay, a lot of people would say, two minutes. What do you mean, two minutes? I need two hours. And I do not deny that God has done many great things. You probably could talk for two hours about all the great things that God has done for you. But the world in which we live will probably not listen to you for two hours. But they will listen to you for two minutes. Let's go, let's go through some scriptures real quick. First of all, Acts 1.8. It says, but you will receive power. What will you receive? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. How many of you, the Holy Spirit has come upon you? Now, we receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. It's not just for spiritual gifts. It's not even just for spiritual fruit. It's power to be a witness. One of the real signs of whether or not the Holy Spirit is upon you, do you have that power to be a witness? Not to argue with other people, other Christians, but to bring the gospel truth into dark places, people that do not know him. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You you will be my witnesses. What is a witness? Help me out. We're in a small enough group. Help me out. What is a witness? Somebody sees an action. Somebody sees something, and they, they don't just see it, though. What else do they have to do to become a witness? They have to testify. They have to tell about it. They might see something. They might not be the expert witness, 
you know, that the, that the bullet left the, the gun at, I don't know, 565 feet per second, and then it penetrated, and then because, they, because it perforated, you know, two centimeters or you know, a millimeter from the heart, it perforated, and then, you know, th three minutes and 57 seconds later, they died. You might not know all that. What you know is that you saw somebody who was pretty tall. He had a, you know, a black shirt and white tennis shoes, and he was the one that put, that's what you saw. You testify about what you know, even though you might not be an expert. And I think you are, really, you are an expert about what God has done in your life. Nobody knows that better. So you can be a witness about what God has done in your life, and you can tell that. You'll be my witness, since in Jerusalem, that would be like our immediate surroundings. What is your immediate surrounding? Your sphere of influence, your family, your workmates, your neighbors, whatever that might be, your sphere of influence. And then in Judea, that would be a larger region. Samaria, that would be crossing cultural barriers, ethnic barriers, white and black, red and yellow, white and black. They're precious in his sight, and we are called to cross those barriers, to talk to people who do not look like you, do not speak like you, do not eat like you, are not as punctual or maybe more punctual than you. All these different cultural things that would make us different. That's Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And so that's the, the promise of the Holy Spirit, and the purpose of the promise is so that we could be witnesses and then John chapter 4 talks about the woman at the well, or Jesus is, is talking to this woman, and he says, hey, would you give me something to drink? The woman says, you don't have anything, and the Jews don't deal with Samaritans. How can I give you to... And Jesus said, if you knew who it was who was talking to you, you would have asked him, and he would have given you rivers of living. Whoever comes to this well will thirst again, but if you drink of the waters I'll give you, you'll never thirst again. And then Jesus said, hey, go call your husband. And what does she say? I don't have a husband. Jesus says, yeah, you're right. You don't. You've had five, and the guy you have now is not your husband. I was like, wow, you must be a prophet. And the Jews say we're supposed to worship on this mountain, the Samaritans. And Jesus says, it's, you know, the true worshipers worship in spirit and truth. And then that woman left her water bottle, water jug. Sometimes we have to leave what we would see as our goal. Just leave that. <laughs> excuse me, just leave that for a second and go. And it says that she went back into Samaria and it says, John 4, 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. That was a little bit of an exaggeration, but it was enough that he, she testified about what Jesus had done, what Jesus had spoken. And that's what we can do. So these are just a few examples. I think of 1 Peter 3.15. It says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy always. Let's say that together, that word always. 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 Being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. We talked about that last week a little bit. You don't have to argue. You don't have to raise your voice. You can just speak. It's like... It's like if you can imagine, I have a, if I had a seed right here, invisible, imaginary seed, I have that seed and I can plant it. I'm not arguing with you, I'm just planting a seed. Well, really, that seed is not an imaginary seed, it is invisible. But the seed of the Word of God is an eternal seed, and I'm planting that seed. You can argue all you want, I'm just going to plant that seed, Jesus loves you. 
And I know when that person tries to sleep at night, they're going to be remembering because the Holy Spirit will bring to our remembrance, will bring to that person's remembrance that seed. So just do it with gentleness and respect. Just plant that seed. You don't have to argue. Just, I'm just planting a seed. Planting a seed. So my dad was a, was a farmer, dairy farmer up in Minnesota. He's retired now, but we used, to, we used to plant corn, soybeans. We didn't argue with the ground. We just planted the seed. We just plant the seed, and, and then you have the hope that it's going to come up. Now, if it doesn't come up right away, you know, well, we know we're, we're, we're patient with it because you plant like about in April or May, and then you harvest about in November, and you just know it's coming. If you plant that seed, if you plant that seed, you know it's going to come. You know it's going to come. So just do it gentle. You don't need to argue with the ground. Just plant that seed. Or I think of Revelation 12 as well, talking about the testimony. I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God, the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brothers. Who's the accuser of our brothers? That's Satan. He'll tell you all the things that you did wrong. He'll tell husband and wife what their, their spouse did wrong. He'll tell you what God has done wrong. He's always accusing, accuses you, accuses your brothers, accuses God. That accuser is going to be thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. Satan himself accuses us to God as well. And then it says, they have conquered him. How many of you want to be conquerors? You want to overcome? The way that we overcome is by the blood of the Lamb. All that accusation is brought to nothing when I know that I have been forgiven by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus died on the cross for me. Jesus died on the cross for you as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed your sin from you. If you're in Christ, you're a new creature. Old things have passed. Behold, the new has come. Historically, the devil might be right in reminding you of his past, but I don't live by the historic truth. I live by the biblical truth. It's kind of like the law of gravity. law of gravity says that, that things fall down. If I take these keys and I drop them, they're going to fall down. If I do that a hundred times, they're going to fall down. But there's another law that works in the airplanes and the airports, the law of lift and thrust, that you get the wind velocity, you get the air pressure under the wing. I don't remember all the Bernoulli's formula and all that that I studied so many years, dec decades ago in college, but that, the way, it just lifts up. It's the law of lift. You know, you don't have to live by the law of, of gravity, the law of sin and death, if we can use that, but we can live by the law of life. Historically, yeah, the devil might be right. Yes, I did do those things. But biblically, the higher truth is that I'm forgiven, that you're forgiven by the blood of the Lamb, that blood that Jesus shed on the cross for you and I when he died and took our place. So we can conquer him. We can conquer the accusations. We can conquer the accusations by the word of our, by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. If you're being overcome by accusation and discouragement, share your, your testimony with somebody else. A lot of times we complain that our shoes are a little bit dirty, they're a little bit old, but there's other people who don't have shoes, other people don't have feet. We complain about our light and momentary trials, but if we're, our name is written in the lamb's book of life, we've got a great hope. Are you with me? They love not our lives, their lives, excuse me, even unto death. And sometimes, sometimes it takes that to, to evangelize. You know, I've walked with the Lord maybe, I guess, over 40 years now. And it seems like every time I share, there's a moment where I'm sharing my faith. There's a moment where the accuser comes in. 
and he'll lie to you, and you have to die to yourself in that moment. I don't know if you've heard that voice of fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And so we have to kind of break through. Remember one time at the University of Minnesota, that's where I studied, and where I kind of started doing evangelism, sharing my faith. I remember sharing with a, with a football player. And he was probably, probably taller than I, you know, probably weighed about 60 or 80 pounds more than I. And I'm looking up at him, and I'm, I'm at that point where I'm about to share my testimony, share something with him, I'm looking up at him, and I hear this voice. If you share with him, he's going he's gonna to hit you, and you're going to wake up in a hospital if you wake up. You ever hear that voice of the enemy, that fear? And at least that one time, more than one time, but that time I recognized that voice. And I said, no, I'm not going to listen to that voice. And I started, Jesus loves you. I started sharing my faith with him. You know, we can, we can, you've got to break through. Love not your life even, even unto death. And if we can look at the life of the Apostle Paul, and then we'll get into this, this handout in a minute. The Apostle Paul in Acts 9 is his conversion. That's when he hears a voice, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. What shall I do? Go into the city. We will be told with you. And then in Acts 22, he shares his testimony before the people. And he uses this outline that we're going to share. Again, in Acts 26, he shares his testimony before King Agrippa. Shares kind of the same story. Now, why does God put something in the Bible when we have the the story in Acts 9, and then we have Paul relating it again in Acts 22, again in Acts 26, even in Galatians. He's sharing Galatians, he's sharing, uh, you know, about his, his story again. And so many times we have those written stories, and then people go tell the story about it. And so I think to me that's just an illustration of why God thinks it's so important for us to actually share our testimony with people. He had the Apostle Paul share it repeated times. And I know that, that those are the two times, three times that we have it recorded in the scripture. I would say the apostle Paul probably shared his testimony very frequently, very frequently, very frequently. I, I share my testimony almost every time I share the gospel or try to share the gospel, I'll share my two minute miracle. Sometimes it's a five minute version of it. Sometimes it's a 30 second version of it. The other day I was having my oil changed. I talked to the guy a little bit and got in conversation with him. Where are you from? You know, just talking a little bit about his spiritual background. And I think that time I shared maybe the, the 32nd version because there's another customer coming in to get his oil changed. So I just shared what I could. And again, I'm, I'm planting a seed. I'm not arguing with the ground as I plant it. I'm just planting it. I hope to go back and you know, get my other car changed, the oil changed in that one too. Let's look at this two-minute miracle. Okay, I'm going to start where it says two-minute miracle. And then we'll go through this. And I want you to think about your two-minute miracle. Think about your life. Think about how you came to Christ. It's, it says here, when someone comes to Christ, it's a miracle. We're called to be Jesus' witnesses. Acts 1.8, we saw that. Always tell of the reason for our hope. First Peter 3.5. We looked at that. Here's a simple outline to help you share your personal salvation testimony. First of all, before knowing Jesus, this should be about 30 seconds. What false beliefs or sinful actions characterized your life before you surrendered to Jesus? What were their consequences? Be discreet in your description of sin. 
So you don't need to tell us all the details. We used to go out every Friday night and get drunk. And it was just great. <laughs> We're not, I'm not going to, I'm going to say salesman. You're not a very good salesman for the best product. It sounds terrible, but if we can use that comparison, I know it's an earthly comparison, limited Use something earthly to try to illustrate something heavenly. It can be difficult, but try to be wise on that, okay? Don't glorify your formal sinful life, excuse me, but use it as a bridge to your need for God. And then the second part, when you surrender to Jesus, this would be about one minute. This would be about 60 seconds. What truths and circumstances brought you to the point of surrendering to and trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior? How did you respond? Be specific here. Describe the truth that impacted you. What repentance looked like for you. It's going to be different, a little bit different for every person. What it looked like for you. Okay? And how you put your faith and trust in Jesus. Be real and transparent as, as you share this. Bring the audience into the front row of the movie of your life. Okay? And then the, and then the last part. Since you began following Jesus, this would be about 30 seconds. How has God's love and lordship changed your life? How is it still changing? Give examples of such things as forgiveness, relational reconciliation, a sense of purpose, God's presence, and victory over sin. Now, on the, on the back page, it says tips for sharing your two-minute miracle. Just some things just to help us, just a few things. First of all, don't criticize other religions or other churches. Just be careful about that because... Somebody who used to go to the church that you used to go to and you didn't like it and all of a sudden they're going to think that they have to defend their faith because you're going to be insulting their parents and their grandparents. Just be very careful about that, okay? You can mention what church you go to or used to go to, but you don't need to criticize it, okay? Don't glorify your previous life of sin. I mentioned that just a little bit. You don't need to go into all those kind of details, be careful about using Christian jargon. So I just received the blood of the lamb, and then I got into the spirit. I'm no longer in the flesh, and I'm committed to the body. And <laughs> there was this one time. There was this one time. These, so these church, two churches, they had a joint church service, and then they and then they went to a restaurant, one of these buffet restaurants. And this one sister, she's in line next to the pastor. And she says, oh, pastor, I just really love your body. What she was trying to say, she really loved the people of her church. I know the church is the body of Christ, but it, when I first said that, you were like, what? I could feel it in the room. I could feel it. You were just like, what was that? Did you bring me some water? Thank you so much for that. Thank you. Thank you. So you just want to be careful. And, there, and there's things that we can say in church that other people won't understand. Okay? So just be careful of your audience. Just be careful of your audience. Even if you say sin, I was living in sin. Well, what does that mean? I've never killed anyone. I haven't stolen more than $5,000 on one occasion. Everybody's hiding their wallet right now. They don't want to get next to this pastor. I mean, you can say the word sin, but then what does that word mean? You know, give a little definition. Okay, we, we, we just want to catch ourselves 
using so many of those words that, you know, we almost have our own vocabulary when we come to church. Okay, I gave that illustration of, you know, I love your body. You could feel it. I mean, you could just feel it. And probably the people online, too, they could just feel it. Like, what? And we're the body of Christ. I love the fellowship with the people in your congregation. That's what she was trying to say. But how many times do we say stuff? We just be careful with that, okay? And think through for a non-Christian person. Would they understand that? Make Jesus the hero. That's very important, too, because you can say, you know, I used to drink and smoke and do all these things, and now I go to church, I read my Bible, I'm committed, and I'm doing, you know, I no longer do this, and I do this. Well, who's the hero there? And I don't deny that Jesus had done some great things in your life, but, and and you can say, I no longer am bitter and angry because Jesus has saved me, because his spirit is in me. And it's almost like we have to really exaggerate to make Jesus the hero. Otherwise, people are going to think, man, you're just a great person. I'm glad you like what you have and your faith is good for you. That's what they they can end up saying. But if we really make Jesus the hero, that he was the one that died on the cross, he is the one that has sustained me for these years. He is the one that has filled me with this love and this joy. He is the one that has delivered me from whatever addiction it might have been. Okay, and then try to identify with your audience. So actually, your testimony might change a little bit depending upon your audience. Not that you're lying, not that you're becoming a different person, but you just want to identify with those people. Why do we practice? Like I mentioned, sports people, they practice. Figure skating, they practice. They've done that routine, gymnastics. Before they get to the Olympics, they've done that routine probably thousands, tens of thousands of times. Musicians, they'll practice. Somebody was watching a great pianist play, and, and, the, and the person said, I would give my life to play like you played. And the pianist said, I did give my life to play like I played. Because they'd practice, and it becomes muscle, muscle memory after a while. And that's what we, we want to do with this as well. When, when we practice our two-minute miracle, reduce it down to two minutes, you'll be like the archer who is... He is confident in his archery ability. He can pull that arrow out, and he can pull it back, and he can shoot it. And then they, when, they're, when they're confident, they'll shoot frequently, and they'll shoot with accuracy. When I practice my two-minute miracle, when other people practice their two-minute miracle, they'll use it frequently. But if you, if you never practice it, like in a moment like this, don't, don't feel weird, but we're just going to get in groups of two. You'll practice it. And, you know, one person will just have to listen and practice as if that person were not in a church setting. You know, so again, be careful with the words that would be completely acceptable in church and we would understand you, but you would be speaking a foreign language to somebody else. Okay, is that good? Just to let you know so you can, in your mind, you can, <coughs> excuse me, you can kind of be prepared. So my name is Philip Steele. I grew up in southern Minnesota. We would go to church pretty much every week, not because I wanted to go to church, but I would go to church so that I could use my parents' car on Saturday night. Don't ask me what I was doing in that car on Saturday nights, but I would be there with my girlfriend, and the next day I'd be back in church again. And when I started school at the University of Minnesota, on one side of me I said, I'm not going back to church. That's for the old ladies. But part of me said, what about God? What about life after death? 
And I started going to a small group Bible study with people who were Christ followers. I'm not sure what church they belonged to, but I just know they were Christ followers. And when I saw what they had in their lives, when I saw what I needed, I saw they had a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And I knew that I was separated from God. A lot of it because of the things that I was doing with my girlfriend, other things that I was doing were really against God's law. We call that sin. But I was doing things that were against God. And so I even started talking to my girlfriend. And I said, I'm going to this Bible study. And I'm thinking about following Jesus. If I do, we'll have to stop doing what we're doing. One night after the Bible study, I went back into my dorm room, and all alone, I, res- I asked Jesus to come into my life. In a one-word prayer at about 10 o'clock at night in my dorm room bed, I just said yes to Jesus. And that yes was, come into my life. Yes, forgive me. Make me into a new person. And Jesus, the risen Savior, the one who lived 2,000 years ago, died on a cross for us, rose again, came into my life, made me into a new person And since then, he has sustained me with his love and with his joy. He has kept me and given me the privilege to know some of the greatest people in the world. Is that good? Okay. I kind of saw it in my corner corner of my eye. I don't know. Did they put a clock up there on me? They did, didn't they? (laughs) Thank you for putting that clock up there. Was I, was I okay? Now, now listen, it's not like two minutes is just the magical that you're going to lose the anointing after two minutes and three seconds. But we just were shooting for something, okay? You know, and we'll practice it. And some of you will find that you're going to have to reduce it. Others will find that you can expand a little bit. Christian, come on up here and share your two-minute miracle. Two-minute miracle. Okay? Let me ask you this. Before we get into that... Did, I, did you hear me talk about my, my life before knowing Christ? Did you hear me talk about my moment of conversion when Jesus came into my life? University of Minnesota, going to a small group Bible study. I tried to bring you into the front row of the theater of my life when I said about 10 o'clock at night in my dorm room bed, one word prayer. I tried to bring you into that moment. Did I talk about my life after knowing Christ? Yes, that he sustained me. I tried to make Jesus the hero. Did you hear that? If not, let me know, and I'm open. I want to be able to, I want to, be able to make it better. So, Christian, two minutes. I'm just, I'm just concerned if they put a clock on us, and then they have this alarm that just wakes everybody up. I just don't know what's going to happen there. Wait a minute. Start over again. Go back to two minutes. No, no, no. You got to start that over. You, I'm taking up her time by talking to you and telling you guys to turn it. Turn it. There we go. Okay, okay, go, 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 go. Okay. I grew up in church. My dad's a pastor. My mom uh, was and is a prayer warrior. So I was, but I was just going along with the idea of God and church. And um, also because people saw me as a good person, I said, well, that, that'll do. Uh, so God was really on the back burner and even more so. Uh, once I went to college and uh, alcohol partying became my thing, um, that is until it was a Sunday morning and I had been uh, wasted the night before and God spoke to me. It wasn't an audible voice, but it was clear as day. And he said, you know you're going to hell if you keep living like this. And 
for me, that was actually, uh, I was excited, actually. I was happy because it was like, oh, God speaks. That was the first time I was sure <laughs> that it was God. So I tried for the, for the first time in a while to really uh, live for God, only to fail miserably, but God kept talking. And he gave me a understanding and a love for scripture. And I had an aha moment um, as reading scripture and realizing, having a new understanding of Jesus, Jesus as uh, the sinless life that he lived for me and the fact that he died on the cross. And, and that has been uh, a revelation that has transformed my life to live for him. And he's, it, it has caused me to know his love and also to uh, love people in new ways because of it. There we go. Sorry about that. Did you hear her life before knowing Christ? Did you hear her encounter with Jesus? That, that you know, God spoke to me, you're going to hell. That's what God did for you. And, and that's a powerful testimony. I don't know that everybody else can say that. <clears throat> I knew that I was going that direction too. <laughs> a revelation. I almost think that you have to know that you're lost before you can be found. You know, so I think your testimony is powerful, good testimony. Did she make Jesus the hero? Yes. How many of you are encouraged by hearing the other person's testimony? You're encouraged. You, you need to have that faith that your testimony brings faith to other people. I've got this seed. It's an invisible seed. It's not an imaginary seed. It's a powerful seed. Heaven and earth will pass away, but this seed will never pass away. The seed might not be seen immediately, but I know it's in there. And I know just as the heavens are above the, are so higher, the heavens above the earth, and his thoughts are above our thoughts. And I know that the rain doesn't come down and it doesn't return void, but it waters that seed. You've got to have the confidence that the Holy Spirit, as you plant that seed of your personal testimony of what God has done in your life, that person will never be able to stay, say before God on that final day, I didn't know. And what Pastor Dave shared last week, it might take seven people with that same seed, other people watering it, but you can be one. You might not, you know, pray the prayer of salvation as if it were a magical prayer, but you can share your testimony and even as we practice, you feel more confident now, don't you? It's like you've taken that arrow out of your quiver and you've shot it a few times and you get more and more accurate. You know, and again, not that two minutes is just this magical time, okay? So have that confidence in this seed, just as the farmer has a confidence that when they plant that seed that in, in six, six months or now they have, I don't know, 120-day corn or, you know, they have that confidence, well, we paid good money for this seed. It better bear fruit. Well, let me tell you, God the Father paid a great price. And we've got an eternal seed, which is the Word of God and your testimony combined together can change lives. Let's all stand up. I'm going to pray. We'll, I'm not going to dismiss us. I'm going to send us to the mission field. I'm the missions pastor. Today, this is the mission team. And we're on a mission.
and we have a tool that we can use, your two-minute miracle. Father, I thank you so much. And I pray that you would send these laborers into your harvest field. Your harvest is plentiful. Oh God, your harvest is plentiful. I pray that you would give it each and every one, that you'd give them boldness to speak your word, just a new boldness. The Holy Spirit would come upon us, give us power to be witnesses, I pray. A new filling with power from on high. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom to be able to share. Lord, help us discern even our vocabulary, words that other people wouldn't know, wouldn't understand. Give us that wisdom. And Lord, I pray that you would give us open doors. Let the conversation turn towards spiritual things. Lord, I pray that your people would, would be able to share your word, be able to share what you have done in their lives. There would be some that would be as the, as the woman next to the well that could bring the whole town to Jesus' feet by just sharing. Come see a man that is, has told me everything about my life. Send your people to the harvest field, I pray, oh God. Give us open doors. Give us boldness, Lord Jesus. Give us opportunities to share your word, I pray. In Jesus' name. God's people say a big amen. Amen. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. Go ahead and use your testimony. Use your testimony. Speak it out. Be bold with it.